Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and we have just wrapped up the Laver Cup from the O2 in London. And Mike officially saying goodbye to one of the greatest legends of our sport, Roger Federer, officially playing his uh, final professional match. It's real. He's he's saying goodbye now. I feel like many tennis fans out there, I'm still kind of digesting this. It hasn't fully sunken in yet that that was it for him. Um, and I got to say, it went way better than I thought it would go. Initially, when I saw that he was going to go out at the Labor Cup and not get another official ATP tournament or another Grand Slam, I thought, well, that's really not not the setting for someone like Roger to go out. But I, I, I stand totally corrected because seeing all of his teammates carry him up on their shoulders have the other members of the big four there, the greatest rivals he had of his entire career, along with up-and-coming players like Felix Ogialiasim and Casper Ruud, for example. It seemed perfectly appropriate, and the, the tears flowing and the emotions. Um, and uh, to me, you wouldn't have got that if it was just at a regular ATP event where he beat or lost one player. This felt um, much more meaningful and fitting for a player like Roger. Yeah, I think uh, the event itself um, and the spectacle around it, everything that happened afterwards, of course, um, after that final point was was just an incredible. And honestly, I've never really seen anything like this where you have an athlete who's had such a long and storied career like this and finish out their career playing with their greatest rival, um, you know, to, to be alongside sharing the court with Rafael Nadal and doubles, like a picturesque ending. And it's funny, like watching, of course, you know, even though we're, we're journalists, the fan in you sort of wants Fed and Nadal to win this match. Like, let's be honest. And they and, almost and, did. And they and came they, so close. They almost did. They were right there. They had the match point at the end. And, um, so it felt like, oh, man, how, how did they miss that? But then, you know, just two minutes afterwards, it felt so inconsequential, the result of that match. Um, Jack Sock, Francis Tiafa winning the doubles match in the super tiebreak. But you'd almost sort of forgotten and sort of everything was coming back to this incredible career that Federer had. It also feels fitting to me that it finishes in London, which is the site of his record eight Wimbledon titles, where he set just so much incredible history. Uh, he and Nadal shared the court in 2008, which... Uh, some people regard as maybe the greatest match ever played that Wimbledon final. And, you know, I knew the emotions were going to come out of Roger Federer uh, because he is an emotional guy. We've seen it before. I did he's not expect, softy, you know, and I say that in a good sure. way, right? He yep. shows that side, which is wonderful. Absolutely. I did not expect to see it from Rafa uh, alongside of him. And some of these images, these pictures, uh, it was it was heart wrenching. Like it was it was uh, I was getting a little teary eyed watching it myself, to be honest. I was getting pretty emotional as well. And uh, I had to PVR the match and I blocked out all social media because I didn't want any spoilers on, you know, the, the result of the match. Although I agree with you. It didn't matter in the end if they had won or lost. The emotions would have flowed either way. And it quickly turned into that, you know, celebratory yet emotional mood all at once. But um, but yeah, as as you were saying, um, it it just um, oh, gosh, I just lost my, my train of thought there. But uh, it, it was yeah unexpected to see Rafa with the tears flowing and mm -hmm. they were flowing fast and hard. And yeah. that picture of of Roger kind of putting his hand on Rafa's hand as they were sitting on the bench. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Like 
who would have ever thought back in the day, you know, 2004, 2005, just as their rivalry was getting going. And then in the, the following years when it was at its height, where they were playing in seemingly every slam final, who would have thought that their rivalry would turn from such an intense one where they're both competing for the, the highest, you know, peaks of the sport to sitting on a bench, holding hands, bawling their eyes out <laughs> together with, you know, mushy music going on in the background. Yeah, it's uh it's unbelievable really if you think about it. And uh, you know, Novak Djokovic, Annie Murray, uh some emotions there too. Djokovic uh, the following day described it as one of the most beautiful moments he's ever seen on a tennis court and how the emotions hit him hard when he saw Roger's kids come out on court. And uh, you know, you heard Roger speaking to the kids who were like crying with him. He says, like, I'm not sad, I'm really happy. And I, I like when he was speaking just about the journey with Jim Courier saying like it's Roger and Rafa and Novak and, and all these legends, they didn't start out their careers dreaming of winning this much. The dream was like, let's become a professional tennis player. And maybe like, oh my gosh, if I could win a Grand Slam one day, like the dream win Wimbledon one day. Nobody dreams up, you know, winning 20 Grand Slams, winning 103 singles titles. You don't dream up all these accolades, becoming one of the famous sportsmen of all time. Uh, he just wanted to be a professional tennis player. And, you know, he he was a ball boy back in Switzerland when he was 10, 11 years old, he calls himself a ball boy at heart. And just this extraordinary journey and now he has four children Mirka who's been at his side this entire time we saw her in the audience of course and I'm sure a great moment afterwards um, it was really the career coming full circle especially for those who've sort of watched his the entirety of his career and for me uh, as a tennis fan first and foremost starting out I sort of began watching the sport as Agassi and Sampras were beginning their exit sort of late 90s and summoning in the new generation at that time of the early 2000s. So I really remember watching the Roger takeover, which kind of began 2003 and on. So I've sort of seen it all. And uh, wow, what a what a phenomenal career. 24 years. That's that's remarkable. And to have Novak and Rafa and Andy there was so special. Um, I thought Novak spoke wonderfully. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's a guy who hasn't gotten a lot of credit in recent times. But you got to tip your hat. I thought he handled it really well. And, um, you know, Rafa's emotions to me just speaks to the fact that him and Federer's careers have been so intertwined. They're so linked to one another. They'll forever be linked to one another. Yeah. And I wonder if it also put in perspective to Rafa that the end is approaching for him, too, at some point, um, you know, and, and the emotions that were getting to him, partly things off the court as well as he's anticipating the arrival of his first child you know, that's probably, you know, weighing on him on many levels as well and, and wondering how much time he has left realistically in the sport too. So I think it, all of that probably just came, came crashing over him. Um, you know, we almost forget that we were entertained by a heck of a doubles match yeah. between Jack Sock and Francis TFO. And I thought the two of them, good for them. They were going for it. They got the win. I don't feel bad about that at all. I don't feel they owe Roger or anyone else an apology. They did what they were supposed to do was go out and, and play their butts off and yep. boy some of those points in that tie break that one that jack sock got at three oh, three yeah. in the breaker was insane yep. how he kind of guessed and was in that right spot to get the ball back in play and then tfo uh both hitting roger and and almost <laughs> taking rafa's head off showed you that he wasn't holding back that he was going for it no and you know what like i i know some people didn't like it uh but 
uh, a lot of a lot of fans also aren't really used to watching Rafa and, and Roger play doubles. They're they're singles players. All of these guys primarily singles players outside of Jack Sock, but just ripping it at the at the net player and doubles off return that's a fair play and that happens a lot if you consistently watch doubles it's a common strategy and roger honestly is the last guy who would want anybody to take it easy on him i assure you so tiafo and sock had the right approach they're playing to win as well i remember hearing them in the changeover like uh i think after they won the second set or at at some point being like all right like like we're let's let's end end federer's career here and win this sort of thing like joking joking around but they were hungry for that victory and uh, they deserved it the margin was so 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 thin those two shots by tiafo uh right at fed right at rafa and that pickup by by jack sock which was probably the shot of the match uh, kind of turned the tables and you know what credit to roger and rafa who haven't played doubles together since the last time at the labor cup yep nadal even admitted you know one of the changeovers he says it's unbelievable when you don't play doubles how slow you are at the net uh, so not a place that he's as comfortable. Um, but I thought for Roger, some rust early on, which was to be expected, kind of similar to what we saw from Serena at Wimbledon, I felt like. And mm-hmm. understandably so, it had been so long since he played in a competitive setting. But then I felt like things started to click, not at you know peak Roger levels, but no. at least at a level where you could appreciate that he still got it. There were some great quick reaction volleys at the yep. net. Uh, the forehand a few times, you're like, oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> The serve in the tie break uh, up the tee, the ace there to go up 6-5. And that flicked cross-court volley he got to tie yes. it at 7-all was fantastic. I mean, the last great point of Roger's career, I guess it would turn out to be. And when he served for it, you were kind of hoping, you know, deep down, oh, one more ace wasn't meant to be. But I thought all in all, considering one of the two of them hasn't played in the year, the other, I don't know when the last time he played doubles was, they did pretty good against Jack Sock, who's an established volley uh, doubles player, and uh, Francis Tiafoe, who's been playing just terrific tennis in general of late. Oh, oh, definitely. Um, we we saw we saw those flashes and glimpses. Uh, the reminder of the extraordinary like art and, and genius of the Federer game and that, that shot making. Yeah, definitely that stretch uh, forehand volley cross stands out in that tiebreak. That was just a beautiful shot. Rafa had his moments as well. You, you look at the four there in that scenario. It's probably Jack Sock, who's honestly the best doubles player on the court. Um, given the circumstances, both and, teams, both teams too. Yeah, out of, exactly. Event. Out of uh, totally, um, absolutely, he was the best doubles guy there. Um, out of world and Europe, uh, but pretty interesting. Like Rafa, it's pretty clear after me because he pulled out of the event after playing that doubles match. Roger Federer requested he come and play this one final match with him. Nadal would not have been at Lafer Cup this year otherwise. That was very clear to me. Absolutely. And that, again, speaks to their bond. I mean, my goodness, those those two, they've become, they really seem like they become friends, you know, and that there's a genuine relationship between them. And, uh, I mean, mark my words, when Rafa retires, whenever that may be, I see these two reuniting for like a world tour. Um, <laughs> yeah. they, would all, every, they would sell out they would sell out everything they played yeah box office smash they would oh, yeah. just kill it at the box office not that either one needs it mm-hmm. um hopefully there would be some sort of charitable angle to it as well i think would be nice yep. but i could see them going on a world tour and uh, fingers crossed that we would get a stop toronto montreal vancouver whatever the case may be um and it would be great for fans to get to say goodbye to both of them. I mean, I see Roger doing it at some point. I, I don't know in the near future, but I do see him playing some in 2023 if the knee's okay. Yeah. But who could he pair up against that would have any element of uh, A, 
uh, competitiveness. B, who's going to match up, you know, at Rogers level, like no offense to like, I don't know. I don't want to see him go play Tommy Haas or, uh, right. you know, some other recently retired, uh, you know, Kevin, a- I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I want to see him. Fans want to see him against someone of his own ilk. And there's only so many of those. And, and <laughs> as it stands now, they're, they're all still playing. So, yeah, there was some footage actually of, uh, the four, the, the big four training in doubles uh, practicing together. And even when they're goofing around, not trying like the, the ability uh, of these guys is just a- out of this world. Some of the shots that they can hit. I think we had like a turnaround, like behind the back overhead from Nadal in one rally where they were just goofing around. Like they're all just extraordinary talents of the game. I mean, Roger Federer, I think is the most talented tennis player uh, of all time. And uh, look, now he's, he's saying goodbye, but he says, and has made it very clear he'll be around tennis um, probably for the rest of his life in some capacity. Just just touching on the event, Team World getting their first victory since Finally. the installment of the event. Took five years. It was mm-hmm. uh, the first edition coming in 2017. We already always talked about how uh, much the cards were stacked against Team World in this matchup with Team Europe getting uh, just loaded with talent. But I suppose if you looked at this one coming in, Roger Federer, you know, playing his final match. He's not playing in singles. Rafael Nadal compromised just the one doubles match. This was sort of their one opening where Stefano Tsitsipas is a little inconsistent. And a couple of the guys from Team World, particularly our Canadian Felix Ogiali, seen playing some some awesome tennis. And we'll get to the fact that one of the biggest wins for World in this weekend was Felix beating Novak Djokovic for the first time, 6-3, 7-6. I mean, Felix was clutch. Him and, and TFO were the two, you know, stalwarts in my mind for Team World on the Sunday. Felix, who got called to play doubles and then singles, uh, you know, shortly thereafter. To me, that speaks to how much respect John McEnroe, team captain John McEnroe, and and the squad would have for Felix to put him in back-to-back situations like that, knowing how much was on the line. Uh, and Felix is is a pretty decent doubles player. You know, him and Herbert Hercatch, Hubert Hercatch, have been, uh, you know, quite good on the ATP Tour as well. So mm-hmm. what a great pick to go with the Canadian back-to-back. Totally redeems the choice. Beats Djokovic for the first time, 6-3, 7-6. And Team World needed this victory to give this event some legitimacy, especially with Roger going out. People are going to be questioning. We'll talk about it in a minute. Where does the event go from here uh, with Federer not as a participant, but on the sidelines? Uh, Team World needed to get this. Otherwise, I feel like the format would have had to be re-examined next year to make it a little bit more competitive uh, and to narrow that gap. And uh, and for Team World to do it with all of the big four playing a role at some point, although limited for Roger and Rafa, Andy Murray struggled. I think he went 0-2, losing his singles to Dimenauer and doubles as well. And even Djokovic, um, you know, kind of went, what, 2-1, and but still... Uh, I think, hey, credit to Team World. They can, you know, carry their head up high saying we did it, even with all four of those legends over there who have a combined 60 whatever Grand Slams compared to our, what, zero uh, in singles anyways, right? That's a (laughs) pretty big upset. So, you know, good on them. I feel like they really needed to do it. uh, And in in what, what a fashion, you know? Yeah, and I I found this stat very interesting. with that victory, Felix Ogier-Aliassime is the first Canadian player to beat Novak Djokovic in a singles match, which is... He was, what, 29-0 uh, and 0 or something against Canadians? And yeah, singles? that's crazy. And, like, look, Milos Raonic has had 
the bulk of those opportunities to get to Novak Djokovic. I think a couple times too, they've played a tough three-setter where Milos has been up a break in the third. I remember uh, the final in Cincinnati a couple years ago. Uh, Milos got ahead there. I think maybe it was a semifinal, got ahead 3-1 in that third set. Couldn't close him out. Djokovic just too strong on return. So Milos has had his opportunities. He went four sets at the Australian Open with Djokovic the other year too. Uh, But I mean... Beating Novak Djokovic is a big deal. And if you saw the way Djokovic played on the Saturday, just dismantling the U.S. Open semifinalist Francis Tiafo, you watch those highlights like Tiafo was just blown off the court. And Djokovic, the way he moves on hard court is incredible. I I think especially like when you get into this indoor surface, the ball is bouncing a little bit lower. Like when Djokovic is in the zone, he can be unplayable at times. So for Felix to get a handle after getting broken early in this match today as well and, and produce a victory like that uh, shows you where his game is at and shows you just how he's done such a wonderful job, I think, of bouncing back from that U.S. Open disappointment. Takes out Carlos Alcaraz at Davis Cup. Great doubles wins in Davis Cup with Vashik Pospisil as well. Gets the doubles win in Labor Cup here and then beating Novak. Like, that's some big-time tennis and, and some major strides. Felix is a guy who clearly thrives in team events, yeah. whether it be uh, ATP Cup at the start of the year, Davis Cup just a week or so ago, <clears throat> pardon me, and now the Labor Cup as well. Gosh, you almost want to find a way to make him think that every event is a team event. Just give this guy a stacked entourage, send him with 20 people, you know, that are nearby or something like that to give him that vibe because clearly it really works for him. I don't know if it's the fact that he feels like he's got to rise to the occasion to not let his teammates down, whereas in regular competition, you know, you're kind of out there just on your own. Whatever it is, my goodness, does it ever bring out the best in him? And I thought, you know, for a 22-year-old, who happens to have the same birthday as Roger Federer, someone who grew up idolizing Roger Federer, for him to be a part of this event, let alone how well he played, but mm-hmm. just for him to be there, to soak it all in, to be around those greats, uh, to be one of the ones at the front hoisting Roger up at the end there for one of the happy moments, you know, smiling yeah. moments in the aftermath, I think so special for Felix, something he'll never forget and something that hopefully will again just give him the confidence that yeah, I belong amongst these these greats. I belong amongst the best players in the world and give him that confidence to move forward that, you know, hopefully 2023 looks better for him at the slams anyways than 2022 and he can really springboard uh, from this this moment. Yeah, I, I think there, there are some moments probably through this season where we felt like a little bit let down results wise from Felix and then some moments where we feel fantastic about his game winning the first ATP singles title in Rotterdam that was a major high ATP Cup Australian Open quarterfinals almost beating Medvedev that's a major high and especially past couple of weeks beating Alcaraz now beating Djokovic uh, helping Team Canada in Davis Cup and I think the big goal now for Felix and he's mentioned it he wants to qualify for the need ATP finals and he's currently seventh in the race so he's in a great position we should say as well like Sasha Zverev I believe is eighth and I have major questions if Zverev is even going to play again this season uh given what happened at the French Open so uh so you probably don't have to worry about him uh I mean and I think he's just 190 points back of Andre Rublev who's sixth so right now uh Felix is in a great spot ahead of her catch who is chasing Taylor Fritz is chasing as well so if he can be amongst that top eight um that's like another great litmus test at the end of the year I think for him and that would be a first yeah well said um 
Hey, before we wrap on Labor Cup, I do want to go through with you. What do we like? What do we maybe not like or want to critique yeah. about the event and moving forward? But before we do that, one question I wanted to ask you earlier when we were talking about Rafa and Rogers doubles match, and maybe you can explain this one to me. How come Federer was playing, do you think, the ad side and Rafa was on the deuce side? I would have thought you want to get Rafa's forehand, you know, on the on the ad side and Rogers equally speaking on the do side, what's uh, what was the thought process? Yeah. So this is not an uncommon strategy, surprisingly amongst doubles teams to actually have lefty righty play four hands up the middle. Um, you know, if you have to cheat up the middle and take a ball, especially if you're poaching, you're poaching up the middle on your forehand side, that can be a bit more effective. And I think they probably trust for Rafa's end, at least with that lefty forehand. You see when he's serving from the deuce side, he can get out wide so far and just crank balls with the forehand anyway. He can protect and stay away from the backhand side. Uh, so it's actually not that uncommon a tactic. That being said, when I play doubles as a lefty, I I always play the ad side. And I, I always play the deuce side as a, as a righty. That's what Yeah, I yeah, yeah. But this is more, I think, like higher sort of professional level. Often you'll you, have you to... You mean a few levels up from us, yeah? Just uh, just a couple, couple yeah. notches up from us. You'll often see a, a lefty taking the deuce right. side, which is which go. is what they did. There you go. I, I knew you'd give me a reasonable and uh, an articulate uh, explanation. That's great. Yeah. Um, what did you I, like at Labor Cup? Well... I, I like the prestige. I mean, I, I like the name, having the legends around Bjorn Borg, John McEnroe, just bringing the teams out, the introductions. Uh, it's obviously like a high end sort of, I, I it might feel elitist, but is it does have that exciting feel to it, which is great. I love that the players seem to be highly invested in the results, whether you you know, even the fact that we have the word exhibition attached to it, the players seem highly invested in how their performances are going. They seem like they are competing for something more than themselves, which is great. Team environment is exciting. Having guys on the bench, uh, they need to do this every time. I love changeovers. Hearing the players talk strategy, I think is absolutely one of the highlights. I, I think the only aspect that maybe I'm disliking is... Can can we add like some some intrinsic value to this event connected to the ATP in any sense? Like when when can we take the Labor Cup to that next stage where we are getting rid of the exhibition factor? Well, and points are there not points? There's no points. So I thought there were points now. No, the, uh, it goes Cup, to your it, but it goes to your ATP head to head. So right now oh, Felix yeah, is listed. The part I don't get. I don't. Yeah, understand. Felix is listed as one to one and head to head with Djokovic. So it does account as an official ATP okay. match win. But there's no points involved. So I think that's something. That Can they strange. change that? And then I mean the big thing, we've talked about it before. Like we need a we need a women's event. Yeah, for sure. Well, and there's gonna be a joint team event at the start of the year similar to Hopman Cup, which is gonna be called the what is it, the United Cup or something like that. So that's a step in the right direction. But why can't we have just a women's only event, which would be awesome as well? Yeah. It can be an international type format. My goodness, could you imagine the Canadian players along with some of the American talents like Coco Gauff and Amanda Nisimova? Um, I mean, there's so many American women that are so strong. That would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, for me, Labor Cup, I, I love the black court with the mm -hmm. red and blue shirts that really pop. You know, I think that's cool. Um, I love the fact that for the doubles match, there were no commercials, at least on the feed that we were watching here in Canada, that they just played the whole thing. They let us enjoy those conversations between Rafa and Roger with, you know, guys like Berrettini chiming in in the background and Djokovic and stuff like that. That was fantastic. 
to have it uninterrupted. Um, I, I do feel like, yeah, that's really strange to have it head to head count and not, not actual points, but then how do you give points at an event? That's like sort of invitation only like, yeah. okay, Jack sock was there and he's a good doubles player, but Jack sock has really fallen from what he used to be. If it's points there, you're going to have so many guys who are saying, well, hold on. How are you inviting him over me? Right. It should be right. based on rankings. Yep. And if you do it by rankings, you're not going to necessarily get the, the personalities that you want there necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just curious to see how the Labor Cup evolves and 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 continues without Federer playing in it. And without Federer playing in it, do Rafa and Novak still come? Or do they get at least one of them? Because in the absence of any of the big three, is this enough for fans to go to? And certainly it won't be enough for them to pay the ticket prices they paid this time. Yeah, um, I mean, hopefully the ticket prices we saw this time are the highest they'll they'll ever be with Roger Federer's send off. But I mean, that's that's raising the question like, uh, how do you sell an event like this when we don't have a big three anymore? And we're gonna have to lean on the Carlos Alcarezes and Yannick Sinners and Medvedevs of the world, none of uh, which did play this event. So we're gonna have to lean on the superstars of the next generation uh and we're we gonna touch... see it in we're gonna see it in canada next year we should come to vancouver next year uh i know you and i are definitely gonna try and make that uh, as media so I, i'm sure tickets will be pricey but that'll be an incredible event to see uh, just wrapping up here quickly like some women's action uh just very quickly in japan ludmilla samsonova defeating zhang Wen for a singles title she's 18 and one since august with three titles so there's a rising star she took out leila Aini fernandez at the u.s open and gabby dabrowski of ottawa winning her second doubles trophy and title in as many weeks previous week she won with Luisa Stefani teams up again with Mexico's Juliana Olmos who's been her partner for the bulk of this year and they capture the title in Japan uh, beating Ellen Perez and Nicole Melikar and so Gabby and Olmos now have a couple of titles Gabby with three titles overall this year what a what a doubles player she can team up with one player one week one the next win both titles I mean Gabby's going to be at the year-end WTA finals for sure um, I'm assuming it's going to have to be with Olmos. I don't know exactly how the, the criteria works, but because they've played the bulk of the year together, Luisa Stefani's just come back. It would have to be with Juliana Olmos, I guess. Um, but Gabby can can do it with either one, which is fantastic. We've said before, it'll be interesting to see who she goes with in 2023. Maybe a bit of a split partnership with both of them. Who knows? But um, yeah, great for Gabby to be playing so strong in the, the tail end of this year. And, you know, there's not too much left now, to be honest, especially on the, the women's side. Uh, we are going to see Bianca Andrescu back in a couple weeks' time in uh, San Diego. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be cool. And uh, I think I mentioned to you the other day, I was speaking with her agent. And uh, no promises, no guarantees, of course. But we're hopeful to have a chat with Bianca to kind of wrap up 2022 before the offseason and, and have her on Matchpoint Canada one more time. Yeah, that's that's definitely a goal. And uh, just quickly on Gabby as well. And almost with this result, almost is up to a new career high ranking in doubles seventh and Gabby Dabrowski will move up to eighth. Her career high is four. So a uh, well-deserved uh, rise in the rankings. Uh, guys, thanks as always for checking in, checking in on us uh, with Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.